Hello and welcome to Southern Middle Tennessee Today on WKOM and WKRM Radio, your hometown news broadcasting from Columbia, Tennessee. I'm your host, Tom Price. Today is Tuesday, May 9th, and we start with local news. Santa Fe School in rural Murray County will be celebrating their 100th birthday this year on Saturday, May 20th from 2 to 5 p.m. A parade of classes through the years will start at 2 p.m. and come through Santa Fe, down Fly Road, and by the school. Organizers are expecting many former alumni to participate. Everyone is invited to come watch the parade and join in on the fun afterwards. The event is free. There will be bounce houses, cupcakes, food trucks, guest speakers, and school tours. Once the event is over at 5 p.m., everyone who would like to can make their way to the gym for the Santa Fe Alumni Basketball Game starting at 5.30. The cost of the alumni game will be $5. I went to Santa Fe School kindergarten through 12th grade, and I'm excited to be back teaching here. All of my family went to Santa Fe School, my parents, grandparents, me, and now my children, said teacher Rachel Kennedy. There really is something special about this town and this school, she said. I feel that the school is what holds this community together. There's something we say, once a wildcat, always a wildcat. And that is so true. If you ever attend a basketball game, you will certainly see that. We bleed black and gold here, she said. One of the largest proposed residential developments continues to draw concerns from nearby residents facing the possibility of having nearly 800 homes constructed off Trotwood Avenue near Ridley Park, just outside Columbia. The proposed planned unit development, of which the first of two readings currently sits before Columbia City Council under multiple ordinances, has had somewhat of a controversial history since it was initially introduced to include nearly 1,000 homes. The revised master plan currently shows 765 homes proposed to be built over 415 acres, as well as 189 acres of dedicated open space, 31 acres dedicated to Ridley Park, and approximately three miles of hiking and biking trails. There are also plans to install two additional traffic lights on Trotwood to aid traffic flow. If approved, the construction timeline estimates the development to be completed by 2033. While the decreased number of lots and increases in open space have been commended by city leaders for compromising with the concerns brought forth by citizens, some believe it still isn't enough. The council will vote on the first two ratings regarding the development, including annexation of the land into the city limits, rezonings, and approving the master plan, with the second reading appearing in June. Preliminary and final site plans will come at a later time pending the initial approvals. During the council's Thursday study session meeting, four citizens spoke out against the current plans, citing traffic as the main issue, as well as how bringing that many homes to the area could affect overcrowding at local schools. Campbell Ridley, who was first to speak, said he operates a grain farm near the development, which during harvest season requires multiple trucks to travel down two-lane Trotwood Avenue, which could be another potential traffic hazard to consider. I've got about 60,000 bushels of grain storage there and 60 semis that come in when we are harvesting, Ridley said. For every 1,000 bushels, it requires two trips and another two when you take it to harvest. It amounts to about 240 trips in and out of my driveway. And so I just want the council to be aware that certain times of the year, there's a lot of traffic there and they should take it into consideration, he said. 
Randy Butler, another nearby resident, also addressed potential traffic concerns, particularly the amount of cars 765 homes could bring. Assuming there would be an average of two cars per household, that could be nearly 1,500 additional drivers, he estimated. Butler was also concerned that adding two additional stoplights could slow the flow of traffic. I'm on that road every day, and during the high traffic hours between 7 and 9 a.m. and 4 and 6 p.m., it already takes 18 minutes on average to get from Mount Pleasant to Murray Regional Medical Center, Boyd said. Even if we have half of the extra cars, around 700, you've got an added 10 minutes one way every day going to work and back home. This road is overtaxed now, and now we're going to say we're going to put that many cars on it? That's a big concern for us, he said. John White suggested a need for additional lighting from Foster Lane to Ridley Park. They need lights because that park is dark when you come out of there at night, White said. If we add four more lights to the poles that are there, we can at least solve some of the travelers' problems, he said. Linda Stevenson, who was last to speak, also spoke about traffic concerns but also addressed the issue of potentially overcrowding schools. You're going to have to build three new schools, elementary, middle, and high school, in order to house all of these kids because they are going to grow, Stevenson said. The Tennessee Department of Environment and Conservation last week announced 102 grants totaling 200, oh, nearly 200. $33 million from the state's American Rescue Plan Fund, part of which TDEC is administering in the form of drinking water, wastewater, and stormwater infrastructure grants. Since August, TDEC has awarded and announced $634 million in grant funds through ARP programming. Of the 102 grants announced this week, 17 are collaborative grants and 85 are non-collaborative grants. Collaborative grants involve multiple entities, cities, counties, or water utilities, partnering on projects to work toward a shared purpose. The awards announced include funding for 132 individual drinking water, wastewater, and or stormwater infrastructure projects. The city of Pulaski will leverage $1.7 million in ARP funds and additional community development block grant, or CDBG, funds to address critical wastewater needs, including aging infrastructure and excessive inflow and infiltration, as part of the city's capital improvements master plan. Projects will meet requirements in the city's consent order and assessment and include the rehabilitation of approximately 25 main trunk line manholes, 5,931 linear feet of gravity sewer renovation, sewer service connections, and closed circuit TV inspection of approximately 5,784 linear feet of gravity sewer. Tennessee received $3.725 billion from the ARP, and the state's Financial Stimulus Accountability Group dedicated $1.35 billion of those funds to TDEC to support water projects in communities throughout Tennessee. Of the $1.35 billion, approximately $1 billion will, was designated for non-competitive formula-based grants offered to counties and eligible cities to address critical systems needs. These include developing asset management plans, addressing significant non-compliance, updating aging infrastructure, mitigating water loss for drinking water systems, and reducing inflow and infiltration for wastewater systems. The grants announced are part of the $1 billion non-competitive grant program. The remaining funds, about $269 million, will go to state-initiated projects and competitive grants. These grants will address important water infrastructure needs for local communities across Tennessee. Governor Bill Lee said, We look forward to the improvements these projects will bring, and we commend the communities who have gone through the application process, he said. 
More than ever, infrastructure is critically important to our local communities, said Lieutenant Excuse me, Lieutenant Governor Randy McNally. This money will allow cities and towns to address deficiencies and make improvements that will pay dividends not just in the present, but in the years to come as well. I greatly appreciate the work of the governor and my colleagues in the Fiscal Accountability Group for their work in making sure these funds were spent appropriately and efficiently, he said. In 2021, the Columbia Police Department set a goal to have 100% of Columbia police officers certified in crisis intervention team training, that's CIT training, by the end of 2025. In July of 2021, the Columbia Police Department partnered with the West Tennessee chapter of the National Alliance on Mental Health and began a proactive approach by hosting their first CIT certification class. Now, they are proud to announce that that goal has been met well in advance of the original projected date of 2025. As of this week, 100% of responding Columbia police officers are crisis intervention training certified. Columbia police officers regularly respond to calls involving some sort of mental health crisis. While some of these calls are readily identifiable as a mental health crisis, many involved officers assessing the situation and determining a mental health crisis facet exists and is contributing to the situation. Law enforcement officers serve as the first responders to most crises. A crisis intervention team program is an innovative, community-based approach to improve the outcomes of these encounters. In over 2,700 communities nationwide, CIT programs create connections between law enforcement, mental health providers, hospital emergency services, and individuals with mental illness and their families. Through collaborative community partnerships and intensive training, CIT improves communication, identifies mental health resources for those in crisis, and increases the possibility of officer and community safety. The Columbia Police Department will continue to host biannual CIT program certification classes to train newly hired officers and maintain this 100% status. This training has already proven beneficial by better equipping officers to recognize and appropriately respond to varying aspects of mental crisis situations. Advanced crisis intervention training is not a standard requirement for law enforcement agencies. However, the leadership of the Columbia Police Department feels that this training is paramount in today's society. CIT provides officers with tools and resources for responding more safely and compassionately to people with mental illness in a crisis. I am always proud of the Columbia Police Department and the officers we have, but I'm especially proud today. Crisis intervention training is an invaluable tool that we can give our officers to assist with the increasing number of situations that involve persons in crisis, said Chief of Police Jeremy Alsup. Most of the time, in order to get rewards, we have to go through some pain. This concept is part of several religious teachings and dates back many years. The goal is to concentrate on the positive reward and not the painful process it takes to get to the better place. Well, Mount Pleasant will be going through some growing pains over the next year, all for the better. But we will need to remind ourselves often to look beyond the pain and know there is a reward. The city is in the process in May of bidding out the downtown revitalization project, which will span from the front of the Mount Pleasant Grill to Church Street on both sides of the street, including the square in front of City Hall. If all goes as planned, the city commission will award the bid no later than June of this year. Once the bids are let, contracts are signed and then construction will begin. Construction means tearing up streets and sidewalks, but the work will be done in a carefully planned manner, disrupting small areas at a time. 
If all goes as planned, all of the construction should be completed before the end of 2024. The new look and the new square will be so exciting for the city. Traffic patterns will also change to assist motorists who continually drive in front of City Hall in the wrong direction. Next, the Tennessee Department of Transportation is completely replacing the bridge on North Main Street over Sugar Creek. This project is planned to be bid and led in November and December of 2023. Then construction will begin very quickly. The state will completely close North Main Street and direct traffic onto Highway 43 with signs at First Avenue suggesting exiting and entering there to avoid the closure. Because the road will be closed completely, this project should be completed in six months. Leaving a lane open would take the project roughly 18 months to complete. So, the summer of 2024 should show a lot of good changes to Mount Pleasant, Tennessee. Remember, keep the eye on the prize and not the pain to get there. Columbia State Community College will host an annual Tennessee Emergency Medical Services Instructor Update event that is approved by the Tennessee State EMS Office on May 12th. Until recently, EMS educators have only had a few options to obtain their annual instructor update required under Tennessee law, said Greg Johnson, Columbia State Program Director and Assistant Professor of Emergency Medical Services. This offering gives a one-day option for our educators that may better fit their schedules. I am excited about the lineup of speakers at the conference. Each are respected in their field and promote excellence in EMS education, he said. Through the efforts of Columbia State's EMS Academy and the Workforce and Continuing Education Department, the annual Tennessee EMS Instructor Update event has been approved by the Tennessee State EMS Office to satisfy the TCA 1200-1-12 rules for renewal related to attendance at annual instructor updates or conferences and includes eight contact hours. The event will be headlined by Heather Davis, Director of Student Assessment at David Geffen School of Medicine at UCLA. Other notable speakers at the event include, but are not limited to, Steve Joyner, Dean of Lipscomb University College of Leadership and Public Service, Jenny Massey-Holt, Columbia State Associate Professor of Nursing, Brandon Ward, State EMS Director, Jay Burks, IC Training Manager at Wayne County EMS, Randy White, Program Director at Middle Tennessee State University EMS Education, Paul Pollock, EMS Supervisor at Williamson Medical Center EMS, and Gregory S. Johnson, Columbia State Program Director and Assistant Professor of Emergency Medical Services. The conference will take place at the Columbia campus in the Charity Cherry Theater from 8 a.m. until 4 p.m. and will provide participants with eight contact hours. Registration for the event is $125, with lunch provided at the event, along with a reception the night before at the Hampton Inn in Spring Hill. The reception will be at 6 p.m. and offers attendees time to network while enjoying refreshments. For more information, contact workforcedev at columbiastate.edu. The Murray County Democratic Party and the UAW Local 1853 Community Action Program will co-sponsor their 20th Annual Heritage Dinner on Saturday, June 3rd at the UAW Hall, 1853 Hall, located at 125 Stephen P. Jokic Parkway in Spring Hill. Doors will open at 6 p.m. for a social hour. Speeches and dinner will follow. The Murray County Democratic Party will welcome speakers State Representative Justin Jones and Senator Heidi Campbell. The Heritage Dinner is a fundraiser for the Murray County Democratic Party. Attendees will network with like-minded Democrats, enjoy music while mingling, and dine together. Tickets are available to anyone who wants to attend. The price is $40 for individuals, $75 for couples, or $300 for a table of eight. 
They can be purchased through the Murray County Democratic Party website at www.murraydems.org. Tickets include beer, wine, and a buffet dinner catered by Golden Weddings and Events. Local musician Michael Fair will perform. And now your hometown memorials, sponsored by Oaks and Nichols Funeral Home. Mrs. Irene Wirtz Race, 79, a retired employee of Vanderbilt University, died Friday, May 5th at her home. A memorial service for Mrs. Race will be conducted on Saturday, May 13th at 3 p.m. with visitation from 1 to 3 at Oaks and Nichols Funeral Home. Hometown Memorials is sponsored by Oaks and Nichols Funeral Home, serving with dignity and consideration for over 150 years. As years go by, people may tend to forget just what a funeral is really all about. At Oaks and Nichols, we believe it's first and always a special remembrance of someone you love. We start by listening to your needs and desires. If you're unsure, we can help gently, professionally. At Oaks and Nichols Funeral Directors, we haven't lost sight of why we're here, to serve Murray County families in the ways they prefer, and why Matt and Susie Sowell believe the way to honor tradition is with especially personal service. We believe your traditions, your customs, your rites of passage are very important, but we also believe in taking care of your personal wishes as well. At Oaks and Nichols, we try to do more than just the expected things, so the service you receive honors your heritage and is uniquely yours, and we invite you to experience the difference. Oaks and Nichols Funeral Directors, 320 West 7th Street in Columbia, since 1856, people you can rely on. For your southern Middle Tennessee weather, we will have a mix of clouds and sun today with scattered thunderstorms developing this afternoon. The high will reach 82 degrees with light and variable winds. The chance of rain, 40%. Tonight, we can expect mostly clear skies and a low of 58 degrees. Let's take a short break. When we come back, we'll cover state and national news that affect you. You're listening to Southern Middle Tennessee Today. Family first. <laughs> My dad used to tell us that all the time. But family first wasn't just something he'd say to us. It was how he lived every day of his life. And it's how I try to live mine, too. At Shelter Insurance, our agents are dedicated to helping provide personalized auto, home, and life protection that puts your family first. For auto, home, life, or business insurance, see Shelter Agent Tommy Hyde Jr. at 388-2009. Are you thinking about a new fence? Maybe you need a pole bar. Then you should give Sands Fence Company a call. That's 931-309-1644. Will Sands has built his business based on the principles of honesty, quality, and integrity. Sands Fence Company has been in business for over 20 years, providing the community with farm, residential, and commercial fencing, as well as pole barns and buildings. Call today for a free estimate. Sands Fence Company, 931-309-1644. 931-309-1644. For 40 years, the Jewelers Bench has worked hard for their customers and provided the highest quality jewelry at the best price. They keep going back. Recent renovations have allowed them to expand their inventory. More high quality jewelry, custom vintage and estate pieces, and professional jewelry and watch repairs. They also buy gold. The Jewelers Bench, still here, still great service. 808 Trotwood Avenue, Columbia. 
American Standard Heating and Air Conditioning is built to a higher standard, so you can focus on the problems in your life that actually matter, like the drywall that somehow isn't. American Standard Heating and Air Conditioning, built to a higher standard. Call Davis Heating and Cooling at 931-388-2090. Davis Heating and Cooling is your local American Standard dealer and proudly serves the Murray County area. Find Davis Heating and Cooling online and on Facebook or call today, 388-2090. Tint on Wheels is changing their Columbia location. You can now visit us at 406 South James Campbell Boulevard. The same window tinting you've trusted for over 30 years on all types of windows, car, business, or residential. We now offer accessories to elevate your ride. It's only getting bigger and better. With three locations, Columbia, Lewisburg, and Lawrenceburg. We do our best for you. Summer's coming. Let's get you ready. Call 931-619-TINT today. Coach, baseball is back, and WKRM 103.7 is excited to bring you coverage and sponsorship options for this 2023 season. That's right, Taff, and this year our advertising partners had the option to sponsor our live Little League coverage, Atlanta Braves coverage, or a combo package that carried both of them. This area loves baseball, and what a great way to support the community by helping us bring coverage of our Little League, but also taking a moment to promote local businesses. People are crazy about the Atlanta Braves. Whoa, 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 whoa. There's something special and timeless about baseball radio broadcast. There sure is. So visit Front Porch Radio TN and click on the blue Advertise With Us button for more information about how your company can sponsor baseball of all kinds this season with WKRM. Welcome back to Southern Middle Tennessee Today on WKOM 101.7 and WKRM 103.7, your hometown source for news and information. I'm Tom Price. And now news from around the state. Tennessee lawmakers will return to Nashville on August 21st for a special session on potential gun reform legislation. After speaking with members of the General Assembly, I am calling for a special special session on August 21st to continue our important discussion about solutions to keep Tennessee communities safe and preserve the constitutional rights of law-abiding citizens, Governor Bill Lee said in a statement announcing the special session. There is a broad agreement that action is needed, and in the weeks ahead, we'll continue to listen to Tennesseans and pursue thoughtful, practical measures that strengthen the safety of Tennesseans, preserve Second Amendment rights, prioritize due process protections, support law enforcement, and address mental health, he said. In the final days of the legislative session that adjourned last month, Governor Lee made an 11th hour pitch for lawmakers to pass a limited extreme risk protection order law designed to keep firearms out of the hands of individuals who pose an immediate risk of harm to themselves or others. Governor Lee's proposal would expand existing state code around gun dispossession, which courts can currently require of certain domestic violence cases. Some advocates have said lethal loopholes exist in the domestic violence law, which requires people to voluntarily turn over their firearms, but doesn't have an enforcement mechanism. Governor Lee pushed for the legislation following the deadly Covenant school shooting and weeks of heated gun reform protests at the state capitol. The governor had 
for weeks called for lawmakers to bring him potential gun reform legislation before floating his own proposal as Republican lawmakers accelerated the end of session after weeks of emotional protests and political missteps. Republican leadership balked at the proposal, which some decried as a red flag law. The House Republican Caucus released a statement calling red flag laws a non-starter in the lower chamber, though Lee maintains his proposed law is not a red flag law. Still, a wide range of bipartisan political polling indicates a large majority of Tennesseans agree with some additional gun reform, including a version of a red flag law and gun storage laws, which Democrats had proposed prior to the Covenant shooting, but the Republican supermajority batted down. Leadership suggested they needed more time to discuss potential proposals with stakeholders and the public, and lawmakers will now have the summer to do so. In calling the special session, Governor Lee said he is seeking feedback from Tennesseans and opened up, opened up a website to solicit feedback. The December storm that led to the Tennessee Valley Authority's first rolling blackouts in its history cost the federal utility about $170 million, according to a TVA product report. TVA produced report, rather. The report released May 5th by TVA not only describes the breakdowns that led to the rolling blackouts in the bitter cold days before Christmas, but lists weaknesses in TVA's system that must be addressed as climate change increases the chances of severe weather and the demand for electricity continues to rise. The rolling blackouts across TVA's seven-state region on December 23rd and 24th led to an outcry from customers and state and federal lawmakers who challenged TVA's long-standing claims of reliability in serving 153 local power companies, over 750,000 businesses, and about 10 million people. When you think about an outcome, never ever do we want to have to curtail load for our customers, but to keep the system stable so that it was a short duration outage versus what could have been a very long duration outage. Those steps being effective was just critical to success, said Dan Mool, TVA's chief operating officer. Since the rolling blackouts occurred, TVA has released pieces of information explaining what happened, including at the utility's February board meeting and in interviews with media. TVA officials have met with lawmakers, customers, and local power companies to explain what led to the rolling blackouts and learn what impact it had. TVA created a team internally that collected and reviewed actions taken during the storm and also put together a panel including Senator, former Senator Bob Corker, former American Public Power Association President Joy Ditto, and retired Electric Power Research Institute CEO Mike Howard to consult on its actions after the storm. Let's take one last break. When we come back, we'll cover the final story of the day. You're listening to Southern Middle Tennessee Today. Hey, this is Derek Ransom with Ten Pin Alley, voted number one family entertainment center in Murray County. We offer 32 bowling lanes, giant arcade, laser tag, bumper cars, and a full cafe and bar menu. We also specialize in group events, kids and adult birthday parties, company parties, sports team parties, and holiday parties. We're located at 322 East James Campbell Boulevard in Columbia. Call us today at 931-381-BOWL or visit us at 10pin.com. Ten Pin Alley, it's where the good times roll. 
Turner and Osborne Tire Company, 1016 South Main Street in Columbia. Give them a call at 931-388-6822. They've been doing business since 1947 and in their current location since 1964. They provide the best tire and mechanical work at some of the best prices in Middle Tennessee. Hey, they're official Michelin and Goodyear dealers, and they've got all kinds of brands as well. Stop by and see Walker Vining and his professional staff, or check them out online at turnerandosborne.com. That's turnerandosborne.com. Welcome back to Southern Middle Tennessee Today, and now our final story. The 50th anniversary of CMA Fest keeps getting better. Adding to the star-studded lineup, CMA Fest announces the return of the Hard Rock stage at Hard Rock Cafe and reveals additional performers for the free outdoor daytime stages. Located in the heart of downtown Nashville, the Hard Rock stage will feature live performances Thursday, June 8th through Sunday, June 11th from 10.15 a.m. to 4.40 p.m. daily. Additional Additionally, reigning CMA new artist and female vocalist of the year, Lainey Wilson, will open the fan-favorite Chevy Riverfront stage Thursday, June 8th at 10.15 a.m., kicking off four days of live music on the Cumberland River. Prior to Wilson's performance, the award-winning Tennessee State University marching band will march across the John Sigenthaler Pedestrian Bridge before taking the Chevy Riverfront stage to perform songs from their Grammy-winning album, The Urban Hymnal. Featuring some of the country's hottest up-and-coming acts, the Hard Rock stage includes performances by Roman Alexander, Skylar Anderson, Graham Barham, Boomtown Saints, Aiden Canfield, and many more. All CMA Fest stage lineups are available in the official CMA Fest app and on cmafest.com. That's all for this edition of Southern Middle Tennessee Today on WKOM WKRM Radio. I'll be back tomorrow to update you with the latest news. I'm Tom Price. Thanks for listening. Be safe and have a great day.